You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, hey guys, good morning. I love being with you guys. It's a wonderful Sunday to be up and worshiping the Lord together. Um, So happy Sunday. Okay. Well, hey guys, I am so glad that we're here together this morning. We are going to be wrapping up our teaching series called Making a Difference. And uh, this morning, before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to do two things, is to remember kind of the mission of why we're here. You know, we're talking about making a difference uh, in the life of uh, the people around us. And um, so over the course of the of the last few weeks, we've seen a number of you guys step forward and say, hey, I want, I want to be a part and make a difference. And um, that's an incredible uh, part of why we did this series is to prepare our church uh, for grand opening when we move over to the new property. So quick news real quick on the property. This last week, we got a, a, a response back from the city and they approved our site plan. So at least that portion is approved. Yeah. So now the next step is, is that what we do is we submit the building plans and they would approve those. Pray with me that over the next five to seven days, those will be approved and then construction can start. Uh, By God's grace, Lord willing, we'll be on site in August. And Lord willing, we'll do uh, a grand opening sometime in the month of September. But let me remind you guys, when we initially set out on this goal uh, to raise uh, a significant amount of capital to purchase that property, which, by the way, you all sacrificially gave, and that's the topic of the message this morning, um, really it's an opportunity for me to brag on you and brag on this church about how generous you've been to sacrificially give to make that happen. But we set a goal, and we said within the first three years of uh, completing that goal, then we would be able to renovate and move on site. And by God's grace, it looks like we'll be moving on site before the first year. So let's give thanks to God for that. So if you were here last week, you got to see quite an uh, experience. I think I had some, uh, I had uh, some, a movie display while I was giving my announcements. And so we had a technical difficulty with the movie theater, and, and you guys were gracious, and we moved along, and Harkins has been fantastic. We couldn't thank them anymore for how wonderful they've been towards us and, uh, and our partnership here, but we are ready to say goodbye to the movie theater soon and get on to our permanent place of worship. Um, next week, I want to take a moment and remind you, we are going to be in a new teaching series. I'm going to be teaching on uh, a series called Empowered. And I believe this will be one of the sweetest preparations, sweet in the sense of awesome for you guys, and sweet in the sense of mmm for you ladies, okay? So it's going to be good is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think this, this phrase, empowered, uh, is kind of the linchpin or the golden thread throughout all the book of Acts that God empowers a people to declare and demonstrate his righteousness throughout all the earth. And so we're going to see in the book of Acts, I'm going to open it up, and it's going to take me a, a while. Uh, I'll, I'll break the book of Acts over a three-course period. I'll teach 11 
uh, Lord willing, 11 messages, uh, this first part one, and then we'll stop, and then we'll come back to it. But we'll work through the entire book of Acts. It might just take a while. Um, and when we do our grand opening, I'm looking at teaching in First John. Uh, so we're going to have a really great fall. I encourage you to be a part. Um, when we start this series next week, I think you're going to be greatly encouraged. I'm going to introduce to you a new uh, teammate on our staff. And then the following week, that gentleman will be preaching. So be here the next few weeks as we get going in this new uh, journey in the book of Acts. I think you will, you will love it. Um, Last but not least, I want to uh, remind you of the mission of our church. And for the sake of, I'm going to have you do two things uh, this, this morning that are a little different. The first is I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to recite the purpose statement for our church. So if you would, go ahead and stand up. And we got to remember why we're here. If we're going to make a difference, we got to remember the mission of the church. And so let's, let's read this uh, collectively and slowly. I'll start it. We exist to gather people to worship Jesus, develop them to grow in Christ-centered maturity, to help them discover their design for ministry, and to go into the world to show and share the love of Jesus Christ through his local church. You may be seated. We got to remember the mission. Why are we here? We exist to gather people to worship Jesus. If we're going to make a difference, we've got to know why do we exist as a church. When we say gather people, let me remind you, if you were here last weekend, you recall I talked about the incredible inclusiveness that the people of God must have towards all people. And so it's our goal, based out of theological thinking and scripture, plain scripture, is that we're going to love all people. And so we exist to gather all sorts of people to worship Jesus. And you know the truth is, is not that everybody that comes on a Sunday morning is going to worship Jesus, but that's our intent. Amen? Our intent is that, that we would be the people of God that would introduce and share and show the love of Christ. We'd be consistent and, and we would be vigilant to help gather people. So you can be a part. On the bottom of your program, you can see the, the purpose statement phrase, key, three key words, is gather, grow, go. Let's say that together. Gather, grow, go. Um, I want to show you just a few pictures of families that have been baptized in our church. Um, that that, are, that uh, this this morning uh, or after church, uh, I'm going to be meeting some a number of folks over at the property. We're going to do some more baptisms. We'll catch it on film. We'll catch it on in camera. And but these are families that have said we want to worship Jesus. We want our families to worship Jesus. And it's our job as a church to help everybody develop them to grow in their new identity in Christ. And so as a church, man, I want to tell you, remember the mission. Why are we here? We exist to help gather people to worship Jesus, to help them grow in Christ-centered maturity, and to help them to go out into the world to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. And guys, I want to say, we're being faithful to our mission. Let's be faithful this next year. Amen? Amen. In this message series, I want to remind you what we've gone through over the last few weeks. The first part is this, on part one, we talked about how small things make a big difference. Uh, 
Um, right now, um, Tommy and Elizabeth, there are a couple that are in our church, previously divorced, gone through really difficult times by God's grace. Uh, God used this church, God used a neighborhood group leader in our church to help bring them back to God and restore and reconcile their marriage. And this weekend, they're at Weekend to Remember celebrating marriage. Amen? Isn't that great? Small things make a big difference. The neighborhood group leader invited Tommy to come to church. Tommy comes to church, gathers to hear about Jesus. We worship Jesus. Tommy starts a relationship with Jesus and then begins to say, I have a dream and a vision that God would restore my family, my marriage. And then it happens. Small things make a big difference. Matt is the real hero in that story. He went forward across the street and said, hey, Tommy, you want to come to our neighborhood group? Hey, Tommy, you want to come to church? Small things make a big difference. If we're going to be difference makers, we need to remember that even the smallest things can make a really big difference. Your kindness towards your neighbor, your kindness towards the person that's lonely or isolated at work makes a big difference. The second week, we learned about how meeting real needs makes a big difference. We talked about how the science team just sets out signs, and as a result of that setting out signs, we had a young man, gentleman, Tim Riggs, who serves as now my ministry assistant, came to the church because he saw a sign and showed up and said, I need to be involved in a church community, and I knew it was here because somebody took the time to set out a sign. And so that happens, okay? So meeting real needs. You guys are, some of you, you've done the backstage passing and you looked and you said, okay, I'm, I've surveyed a number of ministries. I'm above that. You, listen, when it comes to the church, everything is below your pay grade in many ways. Okay. But you serve because the identity of Christians is servants. And that's who we are. That's what we do. We serve the father. He's our king. But we can meet real needs in the church, and guest services does that. Kids, teachers do that. The tech team does that. It's going to take an army to accomplish the mission that God's called us to here at North Valley. My hope and prayer is, is that you guys will take a step forward, and you guys will continue to do that backstage pass. In fact, we're going to continue that, so if you want to serve, I encourage you to come back next week, show up at 9.30, and we'll be here and give you a backstage pass to show you about some of the different ministries. Part three, we learned about take, take, teaching the next generation makes a big difference. Pastor Jonathan did an awesome job. In fact, I just want to take a moment, and did he not do a great job in teaching God's Word? Let's celebrate that. You know, we are, uh, I like to home grow our leaders in so many ways. And uh, Pastor Jonathan came and he has done a fantastic job. He sacrificially gave up so much back in Dallas to move out here and uh, has been a faithful executive uh, pastor and co-laborer in the gospel and did a fantastic job teaching us about the importance of teaching the next generation and how important that is. Um, you guys as volunteers, let me tell you something. The Sunday school teacher makes the greatest difference in the life of the people in our church because at that age of a young child, uh, they're so um, moldable and you can influence them so greatly and they're dying for uh, men and women to step up and to serve and to invest their life. And that's the biblical paradigm is that we're constantly investing in the next generation. And this morning, I want to talk to you about sacrificial giving makes a huge difference. You know, what separates North Valley from a lot of churches is this. 
This church understands sacrificial giving. At least in a great number of households in this church do. Uh, there were several churches that have been around longer than we have that actually looked at the property and the price tag and the project and the problems scared them away. But when we looked at it, we had such a, a heart of faith, a vision for the future we went for it, and I remember sitting down with Pastor Jonathan and Ian, and I sat down and I said, guys, if we move forward in this campaign, this will either break our church or bless our church. And well, he said, let's go for it. And we prayed and we fasted and we moved forward in faith, and you guys sacrificially gave ex- extraordinarily, and God blessed it. And now within a short period of time, within the first four years, of the existence of the grand opening of this church, we're gonna be on our permanent place of worship. Many churches across the street, there was one that was over there in high school, it was like 10 years, okay? Uh, CCV, they were in high school for like 10 years. Most churches stay mobile for like a decade. We're We're breaking that mold because there's an incredible group of people that say, light me on fire, God. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll make a difference. I'll serve. I'll set out signs. I'll be a neighborhood group leader. I'll be there early. I'll give financially. I'll risk everything. And it's all an act of worship. And this morning, we're going to see that. Here's the context. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The context is this, is Jesus has been demonstrating his divine authority with his words and his works. He has done the greatest miracle in all of his life on earth. He has literally raised somebody from the dead. The man's name was Lazarus. Lazarus has a sister named Martha and another sister named Mary. Lazarus is a witness of God's powerful, miraculous, divine authority. And when Lazarus gets raised from the dead, it kind of sends shockwaves into the Roman Empire and into the Jewish community and says this, is that this man named Jesus is not just a good rabbi or teacher, but he must be an incredible miracle worker like we've never seen before. The Jewish people at the time The Herodians, again, they're blended within Roman culture, and they love Rome, and they play the perks of Rome, and they love the prestige and the privileges of Rome. In my mind, they are watered-down believers at best. What they decide to do at this point, along with the Pharisees, is they say, this man Jesus is a threat to everything we know in Judaism. Let's put him to death. Let's kill him. And so it is with Lazarus, when he is raised from the dead, it is the greatest divine ultimate sign and sacrifice that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He will later teach and say, I am the resurrection and the life. And so we come and know this, is that we're going to be looking into the life of Mary, who Many commentators and historians would agree she is either a single uh, mom or she is a widow or she, is, um, she, 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 she doesn't have a husband. And so 
What we're going to look at this morning is we're going to see how her sacrificial giving goes down in history. Here's what it says in Matthew 26, 13. Truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the whole world, what she has done, her sacrificial gift, we'll see, has, will also be told in memory of her. Mary goes down as the paragon or the perfection of a sacrificial giver. So let's do this together. Let's stand for the reading of God's word in John chapter 12, verses one through eight. Here goes. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor will always have, you will all, for, the, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord, amen? You may be seated. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray now that you would help us to not only understand this word, but God, apply it in our lives. And so, Lord, that we may be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. We pray and thank you for this time in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. Five characteristics of a sacrificial giver. We're going to be watching Mary. We're going to look at her life. And then I'm going to call you to become one. First thing we're going to see is, number one, is sacrificial giving starts in the heart. There's not a, a sacrificial gift without a commitment of the heart and a heart that's completely enamored or overwhelmed with worship and belief. Mary loved Lazarus. Lazarus was to her the big brother. And Jesus did something that was incredible. He raised him from the dead. In fact, he had waited four days before he went and performed this resurrection. Maybe time for Mary to mourn and for Martha to mourn. But then he came and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and he calls to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out like with grave clothes on and walks out and he becomes one of the greatest witnesses and truths and testimonies about the authority of Jesus Christ. This man has the power to raise people from the dead, is what people were saying. For Mary, what we're going to see is she's going to give this incredible sacrificial gift to Christ in this time, but I would argue it started way before that moment, before they gathered, but it started in the heart. See, Mary and the rest of Scripture, earlier we find out that Mary and Martha um, hold a, a time for Jesus to come and to be refreshed and encouraged. And we find Mary sitting at Jesus' feet in the Gospels, 
hearing his teaching while Martha, the busy sister, is prepping and cleaning everything in the house, but Mary's at his feet. Mary's got a heart of worship. Her heart is filled up with her love for her Savior. Sacrificial giving starts in the heart. Verse 1 says, six days before the Passover. The Passover was a religious festival within Jerusalem and Judea that would have celebrated the, the, uh, the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, And verse two says, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Here's the reality. They prepped a dinner. A dinner would have been something that would have been the main meal of the whole day. It would have taken all day long. You know, for Thanksgiving, we at my household, we take all, I mean, we we don't, we don't start that day. We start the night before. And we prep everything out and everything's ready. And it's this incredible time of thanksgiving and rejoicing. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. Because you just get to sit around, eat, watch a little football. And just enjoy. And then what we, what we do is we take the discipline and the time just to give thanks. How God's been working in our lives. Um, many of you for Father's Day, some of you had that opportunity where you just slowed things down and you prepped and you got ready and you had this wonderful meal. That's what's going on here. Mary and Martha took the time. Practical application for this is for us to become a sacrificial giver. Let's follow in the example of Mary. Let's set a time, set aside time to give thanks. Set that time apart. If we're going to be making a difference in the area of sacrificial giving, you've got to know it comes from the heart. It's not something you do for anything else other than you know God's been working, God's been good, and as a result of the overflow of gratitude, generosity flows forth. And so what we see here is that Mary and Martha both set apart time to give thanks to God. They were thanking Jesus for raising their brother from the dead. How much should we as a church take time to go, God, thank you for reaching out in your grace to help save my wayward husband or my wayward friend or mom or girlfriend. Thank you, God, for your grace to restore them. Thank you for reconciling that marriage. And as a result of giving thanks and having a heart of gratitude, here's what breaks forth, generosity. Because it's hard to be so grateful and not want to give yourself. Thanksgiving. At the core of thanks and gratitude is giving. And that's the natural expression. Here's what Jesus taught about the heart. He says, for hey, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus taught about this heart principle that wherever you place your finances, wherever you place your treasure, that's where your heart is. In fact, what we tell people here when they come to this church is we say, hey, we want to encourage you, if you ever leave this church and go to another church, we want you to invest your time, talent, and treasure in that church. Don't leave it here. In fact, I had that conversation recently with a very um, strong giver in our church, and they moved uh, out of out of the city into a new city, and I they've been faithful givers. And I said, "Look, you need to give wherever your heart is. And if your heart's not here and it's somewhere else in another church, God bless you. Go give there." What the church needs is people that are fully alive and from the heart, 
flows this attitude of gratitude, and out of that wellspring of gratitude flows generosity. Mary is that. The Bible teaches us give thanks in all circumstances. So we're to give thanks. It's sacrificial giving always starts in the heart. Um, for me, specifically, I went back uh, when we started the campaign, uh, the financial campaign. I went back to Arkansas, and my family had uh, allotted all the boys and uh, my sister's uh, land, and uh, that was our inheritance. And so I realized very clearly that God called us here, and that um, I wouldn't want to invest all of our resources here in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I had a long conversation with my dad. Many of you guys know the story, but I had a long conversation with my dad. And I said, Dad, I really appreciate your generosity to help secure our financial future. But is there any way we could take that, those resources, and give those to the church? And, uh, you know, I found out that I'm not alone in that. Many of you guys did the same thing. Why, why did we do that? We did that because our heart is here. That's why we did that. We didn't do it out of guilt. We didn't do it out of fear. We actually did it because there's something amazing about taking everything that you have and go, God, I worship you. You're number one. I'll give you everything that I can to accomplish your mission. Number two, here's what we're going to see. Sacrificial giving is always a sacrifice. Um, recently, I heard a story about a family in our church um, that actually, when in the campaign came, they didn't have any money to give to the church. So what they did was they went into the retirement, what they had planned and set aside for retirement, and took that, large portion of that, and applied it towards the church. Anytime something like that happens for, and, and that I'm aware of, I'm a little cautious. I'm a little scared or nervous because I'm thinking, God, I don't want to blow it because this is your resources and they're giving so sacrificially, it kind of scares me. But then I'm reminded, who am I to, to, to say, don't worship God like that or don't give like that? What we see in Scripture is sacrificial giving is always a sacrifice. Look, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. This uh, ointment would have cost about a year's worth of wages. An entire salary in American culture, that would have been approximately about fifty dollars to $60,000 given to Christ in that moment. So she takes this, and other gospel accounts says that it was this, this jar, it was of ointment, it would have been from North India, she would have somehow either inherited it, very likely inherited it, and she took it and she broke it. And then in two accounts, I think they're the same account. One is they put it on his head to anoint his head to say this was a sign of symbolism of God's anointed one. And then they put it on his feet and they end up basically wasting, if you will, a year's worth of wages in a moment and an act of worship. She doesn't have a husband she gave up everything. Here's the point. Sacrificial giving is always about sacrifice. If you've never given like that before, man, I would tell you it is a beautiful act of worship. Here's the point. I think to do sacrificial giving, we have to give until it hurts. I would almost argue my gift that we gave to the church wasn't near as valuable as the family that gave their retirement. Here's why. 
I'm young. They, they're older. They're going to experience more hardship by sacrificing their future retirement than me. It's not about how much. It's about how you handle what you have. And what we see in Scripture is this woman gets all in. She's all in. She's in a sense, she's embarrassed herself. She's opened herself up for criticism and ridicule. In fact, it says that she anointed his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. Culturally, that was a taboo. You don't do that. Jewish women wouldn't do that. They held their hair up. It was a sign and a symbol. It was very interesting. Hair in those days were a sign and a symbol of glory or respect or honor. And so you wouldn't undo it in front of other men. But she does. It's the best of her. And feet in that culture were dirty and despicable and not valued. Here's the point. You take the best of what you have and it's worth the, even the worst of what Christ had. His feet, she humbled herself. She became a servant and she wipes his feet She humbles herself. Why did she do that? Because she was so overwhelmed with love. So she's unleashed in worship. When you come into the presence of Christ more and more in your spiritual journey with God, you'll find yourself acting a little silly from time to times. Doing things that are not quite going to make sense because there's this divine calling inside your heart and in your mind and you're going, I'm all in. When I uh, recently, I met with uh, Pastor Don Wilson, it was actually a year ago over at CCV. Somebody had told me uh, that they uh, had done uh, a lot of campus development, obviously. They have a very large campus. And they said, you ought to meet with him. He's like a mentor to other pastors. So I called him up and showed him the property. We're driving around in my um, wannabe awesome four-wheel drive, a little Honda Pilot. It's a sorry excuse for a four-wheel drive, tell you that. We get in the car, and we're romping around the land, and bam, I hit this huge boulder, and I'm stuck with Don Wilson, and he's like in a suit about to go meet the governor, and I'm like, Don, we're high-centered. He's like, hey, man, it's okay. So he gets out underneath the car. We're looking how to get the thing off, so we literally have to rock the thing off of the rock. I'm flooring it, whoa, gassing it, and Don's like, come on, Ryan, come on. And I'm just like, John, we got to rock this thing. So we're starting to rock it. Boom, boom. And finally, it comes off. And I'm like, man, that's going to cost me a lot of money. And he's like, uh, he's like, Ryan, he slapped my leg. He goes, reminds me of the days on the farm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I brought out the country boy in you, Don. Um, Don told me before I left, he prayed for me. He goes, you know what? Your church is going to do really well. I said, why? And he said, first of all, you're all in. See, that's the story with CCV too. Let me tell you something beautiful. See, Don gave up all his land um, back in farmland, Ohio, gave it to the church. And then I found out he emptied his retirement two times and gave it to the church. Why do people do that? They do it because they're all in in here. 
And somehow money doesn't have this effect on them like everybody else. Let me tell you something, church. We are countercultural people. We do things different. We handle wealth different. We handle sexuality different. We handle everything different. We're culturally distinct. We're different. We're always to be the people that stand out. That's how and that's why. And Mary is all in. She'll be ridiculed. Here's what it says. This is something that's just normal for people that love Christ in the church. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 8, 3. Paul testifies to the Macedonians and they were all in. And he says this, for I can testify they gave not only out of what they, not only what they could afford, but far more. I think of the widow's offering. Jesus walks into a temple and he sees these rich people giving an offering and they're giving a lot of money. And Jesus is sitting there and this poor little widow comes up and she puts in two small coins and Jesus grabs his disciples and says, hey, I want you to know something. Did you just see that? Did you, did you see that widow? And they're like, yeah, yeah. She, she put in more than any of those other guys over there because she gave all that she had. See, sacrificial giving is always about sacrifice. I wrote 21 reasons why I think sacrificial giving is important. I'll read them out really quickly. Number one, it honors God. It, it blesses his bride, the church. It gets God excited. It increases God's blessing for your life. It crushes idols of greed for the giver. It blesses the giver. It's an act of worship. It cultivates generosity. It fosters gratitude. It stretches your faith. It gives room for God to move. It helps you trust in faith. It helps impact a community for Christ. It heals marriages. It saves people. It creates financial healthy churches. It enables churches to give back to the community. It fuels local and global missions. It sends missions teams. It has the power to buy land and use for a permanent place of worship. It can build things. It can create a chapel, a worship center. It, it provides an opportunity for classrooms for kids to learn about Jesus. Sacrificial giving makes a big difference. At North Valley, what separates us from a lot of the churches is people here, for the most part, they're all in. That's the kind of church that we need to be. That's the kind of church that we have to be if we're going to accomplish the great commandments and the great commission. Great commandments, love God, love neighbor. Great commission, go make disciples of all nations. Here's what we see in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. says this. He, Paul refers to giving as a spiritual gift. It's something that we do over time, and we get better and better at it over time. Which, by the way, just so you know, in the area of giving, I did research this week and found this out. Actually, my ministry assistant did, Tim did, and he helped me out. He says, sacrificial givers carry far much less debt than most people. They're actually financially better off than those that don't sacrificially give. They have they have 80% less uh, unpaid credit card bills. 74% of them don't even have car payments. 48% of them own their own home. And 28% of them are completely debt-free. Why is that? I think it's because God blesses a cheerful giver. And I think it's because it comes down with discipline. So money has no master over us as believers. You claim that in the name of Christ. 
that Jesus is your master and money is not. Money ought to work for you. You don't work for money. Amen? Okay, here's what Paul says. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and in knowledge and complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you excel also in this grace of giving. It's something that you need to work on, that you get better at over time. The Corinthians had all sorts of gifts of faith and speech and knowledge. They're a great, talented church. But Paul says, don't forget to excel in this gift as well. Number three, here's what we're going to see. Sacrificial giving is controversial. When I went back to Arkansas and told my family I wanted to take the property and give it to the church, or at least the value of the property, let me tell you something. When you have a little family like a little duck dynasty, that creates some drama. What do you mean? Who's going to buy this land? Who does it own? How do we do this? This isn't the plan. The plan is... If you ever come back, you'll have a horse and some property and you can hang out here. And my brothers are doing that. They've got some great homes back there they just built. Sacrificial giving is always controversial. Look, Judas. I'm going to label him Mr. Greed. He's like Scrooge. And he was a thief before he was a betrayer. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said this, why wasn't this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In other words, he, uh, he just created a diversion. And he thought perhaps, perhaps that Mary having that much value and finances might have had kind of put it into the treasury, if you will, for the ministry expansion for Jesus and then he could dip his hands into it and steal it. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If we're going to become a sacrificial giver, you need to dismiss the chatter and follow the call. You will always hear people around you say silly things like, how dare you give like that? Why would you give like that? Use the money somewhere else. It happened even in my own family, and by God's grace, it all turned around. My dad, the patriarch of the family, turned around and said, no, look, God's assigned that property to that church for an area of influence. Why wouldn't we as a family support that? If Ryan wants to make that decision, that's his decision. And although that's not our plans, we're going to support that. But let me tell you something. That didn't come fast, okay? That took months to get there. Let me encourage you. Dismiss the chatter and follow the call. The Lord speaks. The Lord loves. The Lord will minister to your heart and your mind and your conscience ahead of time, all the time. My encouragement to you is slow down. Listen. Mary was enamored in worship. What motivates her giving is worship. She's known for a worshiper. She sat at the feet of Jesus and busy Martha was just so busy doing things and Jesus says, hey, Leave Mary alone. She's chosen the one thing that's so valuable. And she's worshiping. So dismiss the chatter and follow the call. Look what also Jesus says. He chimes in. He says, leave her alone. Mark 14, 6 echoes this. The gospel accounts given in, uh, here in John, also in Matthew, also in Mark. I think those are all the same accounts. The other two accounts say that it was Simon the leper's house. Here's what happened. 
Simon the leper, it's his house. Lazarus and Simon are buddies, and they're hosting a reception of thanksgiving to Jesus. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why? Because what she's doing, the Bible says, you're bothering her. She's done a beautiful thing to me. While sacrificial giving is controversial, my encouragement to you is dismiss the chatter and follow the call. Mary's heart was longing to give an expression of her gratitude. And out of great gratitude for Christ and his work comes a heart of generosity. Number four, here's what we see. Sacrificial giving grief or sacrificial giving peeves the greed. It bothers greed. I'll personify greed for a moment. John, the gospel writer, records this. He's reflecting upon Judas. He said, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas was a thief far before he was ever a betrayer. Judas is probably had plans that he was going to be a very successful um, political religious leader in Jerusalem and Judea. And Jesus was the Messiah. But when things don't start going according to Judas's plan, deceits begins to move into Judas's heart, set up camp and multiply and greed becomes a huge factor into Judas's life. And greed will kill things. Greed ultimately kills not only Judas, but it is, he betrays his Messiah, the rabbi, Jesus. Verse 7 says this, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Mary had wanted to save this, knowing that Christ is going to the cross, that he will die on the cross, he will be buried and risen again. And it was very often a normal practice in which you would, in a sense, uh, anoint or uh, put, put this uh, ointment on the body to prepare it for burial. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Sacrificial giving peeves the greed is that you fight greed with generosity. For you that have struggle with where money feels like it's your master, you think about it all the time and you get anxious, sick, worry all the time. Remember, money is a poor master. Jesus is a good master. But Jesus will test and call you to give up what could be an idol, something that gives you uh, value or comfort. Jesus does this with the rich young ruler, the rich young man. It says this in Luke 18, 22, Jesus calls for sacrificial giving. He tells the young guy, the young guy says to him, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. I'll do anything you want me to do. I want to be a disciple of yours. And Jesus says this to him, one thing you still lack, young man, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus calls for sacrificial giving. Why would he call that young man to do that? It was a test. He loved money more than he loved his master. Number five, here's what we'll see. Sacrificial giving is always an act of worship. Verse eight says this. Jesus says, for the poor you always have. You'll always have the poor with you. And Jesus is using this as a teaching moment to express to his disciples that Mary is indicating a priority of her love and affection for Christ. 
He says, for the poor you'll always have with you. They're always going to be there. Jesus doesn't disregard the poor, but he's stating out a truth and a reality. His time is limited. He says, but you do not always have me. He's going to the cross. Here's the point. To become a sacrificial giver, we've got to make giving to God the highest priority. Meaning in our giving. She could have taken the money and given it to the poor. Judas pointed that out. Where does your money, when you give, where should it be directed? I would say be directed into the treasury fund of Christ. That when you give, it's an act of worship. Not, you're not giving to specifically re, uh, re, relieve a need to that person, but you need to see that your giving should be directed towards Christ. That's the ultimate sign and symbol of your love. Not that giving to relief and, and provide for mission works isn't important, but here what Jesus does is he shows that giving to God is the greatest priority. She didn't need to give to look good. She didn't need to give to stand out. She didn't need to give so that she can be seen as a real faithful disciple of Christ. She was giving because she was in love with Christ. And it came out of a heart of gratitude. And that's the highest priority. So how do you do that? You do this. You practice the priority principle. Proverbs 3, 9 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. At my household, we make a priority. And, and so do many of you in the church. You make a priority that in, when you look at the scope of your annual salary and all that you produce and all that you have, you give. And here's the point. This is what I've learned, is that givers that do that, they actually end up carrying less debt. They're financially far better off. They have unpaid credit cards. They have no car payments, or they have 74% less car payments. 48% of them own their home, and 28% of them are debt-free. Why is that? I think because it honors God. I think because it teaches you how to manage your finances. Here's the point, what I'm trying to bring home to you. You guys, listen, this church, what separates us from so many others is that we understand that everything that we have, our whole life, our time, our talent, and our treasure, it belongs to God. He owns everything. And all we're to do is we're to be stewards and servants of the King. Amen? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And we're going to prepare for offering and communion. And here's my encouragement to you. Every time you give, you give online, you give here in the service, know this. Think about it that you're giving to God. Make it an act of worship that you say, Lord, I'm giving out of a heart of gratitude, not a heart of guilt. And if you can't give out of a heart of gratitude, keep your money. Because God doesn't need your money. We don't need your money. What we need is we need God to work and him to work in your heart. And God will take care of his church. So, Hear me on this. We are moving forward on the property and the land and all your giving helps fuel all that. By God's grace, you've sacrificially given in the past. Those of you that have not and maybe you uh, want to, I'll encourage you to do that. Uh, we've sent out correspondence with you via letters. Um, if you want to get involved with the property and give sacrificially above and beyond your regular giving, there's uh, giving uh, information there at the info table encourage you to do that. But hear, hear me on this. Let it be come out of a heart of gratitude of how good God's been and how he's worked. And let this be the place of worship where you experience the joy of Christ in your life. Amen.
Amen. Lord, thank you for the opportunity for offering and communion. Lord, we take offering, and Lord, in remembering how great you are, and give towards not only you and the worship of Christ, but the thankfulness of how you've worked and you've used this church, Lord, in our lives. Um, Lord, and in communion, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you paid it all. You're the greatest uh, giver, sacrificial giver, by sending us your son, Jesus Christ, to give to us eternal life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.